16, verse number 18 tonight. Matthew 16, 18. Uh, Jesus said here, uh, the Bible says, Matthew 16, 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. I pray that you would open it up to us. Help us tonight to gain some things that would be beneficial, Lord. We need to know exactly how to reach the world in which we live. And, Lord, I pray that you just speak to hearts. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us the gospel and bringing us light and allowing us to, to know you. And, Lord, what a blessing. We are so fortunate, so blessed, uh, Lord. And uh, much of the world is, is uh, in darkness and some have never heard, and so, Lord, I pray that even tonight you'd speak to believers here and help us to step up to the plate and, and to uh, uh, answer the call, answer the call that you are giving to your people here tonight. Lord, I pray that you just bless. Thank you so much for tonight. I pray that you'd open your word up to us, uh, give me clarity of thought, and just be with my uh, lips and my words, my mouth tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Before I continue, I wanted to say we're preparing for our revival, which starts Sunday, goes through next Wednesday. Don't miss, don't miss a service. Folks, if you can be here every single service, Brother Jones has been here before and used of the Lord greatly to speak to hearts. I know my heart. I'm looking forward to it. It's a special servant that God has used. And, uh, and as he mentioned in that little video that he, if you've got your... Uh, phone where you get the push pay the the push what do you call those notifications and he said hey listen i'm looking forward to coming and, and what he said he can't bring revival in a suitcase that comes of the lord and so we got to pray and we've got to do our part be be here invite and, and uh be praying asking god to touch our hearts and open our hearts and we need to be in our place and do, and do our thing but uh in preparation for the revival i'm going to be praying some you know uh, well i've been praying asking the lord to to uh do some wonderful things. Uh, I'm going to uh, make it here Friday night at about 10 o'clock and just pray on into the night a little bit. So if anybody else wants to join me, you can. It'll just be, you know, right here from, and it'll be late uh, that night, maybe go to midnight. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And just, but I just want to pray especially for the revival. I know we've done that before. We've had services to where we've made special organized services for that. There's no organized anything. Uh, I'm just letting you know I'm praying extra and special for that. And if you want to join me, you can. It'll be uh, here uh, Friday night at, at uh, 10 and, and so on. All right, Matthew 16, verse number 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What will not fail? Jesus promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is it that he promised life, continuance? What's the effort that will not fail? It's not an individual effort, and he's not speaking about the gospel here, what the church says, the, the, the things that the church says. It's the church. He's promising the church, what we call, it's a uh, theological term, I guess, perpetuity, life, continuance. He says, hey, there's going to be opposition, but it's going to go on. It's going to have victory, and he's talking about his church that shall not fail, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus promised an ever-living presentation of the gospel to the world, 
what was it that he was talking about? He was talking about his church, the church that he began and that he, he uh, uh, brought into existence. The church is not merely when believers are gathered together. I think sometimes we don't have a clear understanding about the church. I know this is going to be a doctrinal message. You know, it's going to be some teaching about the Bible, help believers understand what this means and what that means and, and kind of get a, a good footing. But hey, we, we need this. And I, I'm going to try to make it uh, interesting and uh, uh, to where we can, we can it'll, it'll do us good if we pay attention. But you got to put your mind in the, the uh, service and in the teaching tonight. Um, it's not going to be, you know, uh, flamboyant or whatever, but it will be what we need because we're, to, we're supposed to reach the world. And there are groups that are trying to reach the world in the wrong ways. And we need to see what's right and what's wrong. So um, what is the church? People don't even understand what the church is. When we talk about the church, again, it's not this building. It's not the, the bricks or the wood or the, the drywall. It's, it's not the foundation. That's not the church. A church could be meeting in a home, as they, they did in the book of Acts. It could be meeting in the palace. You know, here you have the, uh, those that were of Caesar's household that, that actually became believers, and they met in churches. Um, and the church could be in any place that's, uh, that is conducive to a, a meeting place, a gathering place. A church is wherever the people of God are gathered together, and it's not in the building, it's in the actual the people. But the church is not just merely when believers just gather together. You go, my, my wife was talking about uh, some, somebody that she uh, saw just the other day. Who was it, hon? I don't remember now that you said, oh, so you're a believer. Where was that? Trader Joe's. Okay, so uh, you have church at Trader Joe's when you come up with another believer and you come up to somebody else that you know, says praise the Lord or something like that. Hey, you're a believer. And two are together and, and you know, people think that that's where it is. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20, they'll, they'll use verses like this. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So they think that's the church. No, Jesus said, I am in the midst of there. there and that's a wonderful thing, and there's unity, and there's you know many things that he's dealing with there. But that's not a definition of the church. Just when people are gathered together in his name, you could be gathered together around the flagpole at school, at believers. You could be gathered together about whatever. That's not a church. Believers look at the promised presence of the Lord like passages like Matthew chapter 18 there. And uh, they define that as a church, but it's not the case. Jesus was merely bringing out the point of the power of unity and agreement in those verses. A point that fully applies to our prayer life also. As in the previous verse, Matthew chapter 18, go back to verse number 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on, any, on, on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done uh, for them of my Father which is in heaven... And then he goes on to say the rest, which we just quoted, for where two or three are gathered. So he says there where two people are, are gathered together in purpose of what they're praying for. Like tonight, we're going to be praying. Uh, many times I'll pray with my wife if she's free or, or I'm not praying with somebody else. And as we uh, kneel down together and we agree with whatever it is, we, we're in agreement together. Jesus said that that helps our prayers. It actually uh, uh, infuses it with, with more of an effectiveness. How many remember David Hetzer's message last uh, missions conference when he had that compound bow and he talked about prayer as, man, that was a great message. Talking about the power behind our prayer. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's, he's talking about uh, having your prayer to be effective. But that's not the church. It's merely agreeing in prayer doesn't constitute a church. 
No, it's a special, the church is a special, purposed, given life and protection and authority to carry out the mandate of reaching the world was given to Jesus' church. Now, both praying with a friend or meeting together in certain uh, places applies to church examples, for sure, because there's unity and harmony in numbers. Like tonight, as the church meets together, then we, and we all agree, you know, we're, we're all be, uh, praying for the same things, whatever. That makes our, church, our, our prayers effective, absolutely. And as a church, when we're all gathered together, the, church, the, the Lord is in the midst, and that gives you know, more of a, an impetus of, of what we're doing. But merely doing something in unity doesn't formulate a church in the biblically identified manner of the New Testament. <clears throat> Gathering together, although special and honored by the Lord, is not always an example of the church. What you want to do is you want to take a look in the Bible where the church is first mentioned, which is in the New Testament, you find in the Old Testament there were believers, or the children of Israel, the ch children of God, but that, that was a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. That's not the church. Even though there are verses that talk about uh, you know, spiritual Israelites and all, yes, we, we've inherited, we are now a people of God. But the church actually began in the New Testament. And what you want to do when, you, when you're studying your Bible, it's called the law of first mention. Whenever the very first time the, the word came into the, to the Bible, that's the first time that it was mentioned in the Bible, that time is very significant. That's why the book of Genesis is so important. Uh, there's many first mentions in the book of Genesis. So we learned the, the first mention about God, for instance, or the devil, or man, or the fall, or the curse. Death is first mentioned in the book of Genesis. The promise of the Savior, scores of other things are set. They set the parameters of the definitions for these words at the law of first mention. The first time it's mentioned, it's significant. Although there are several additional meanings and nuances given to concepts or words as we go, the first time that it's mentioned is by far the most important. Like, for instance, uh, the first mention of tongues. Uh, there's all kinds of confusion out there about Tongues, what tongues is supposed to be. Nowadays they say, well, tongues is this, and that's tongues. That's not tongues. It's not a bunch of gibberish. It's not just, uh, you know, and they say, well, it's, it's an angelic language. No, no. Go back to the first time it was used when God gave the gift of tongues, the book of Acts, chapter 2, where Peter preached and God gave the gift of tongues, actually it's a gift of interpretation or, or understanding. They preached, but everybody understood in their language. They were human languages. Matter of fact, it gave several of the, of the languages. I think one, one was Italian. Capace Italiano, hey, right there in the book of tongues. Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, that identified what tongues is. And unless God changes the definition, that's it. I know, I know men change the definition of things, and they say, oh, well, that's what this is, and that's, where did God change the definition of tongues? There were human languages that were given so people can understand the message of God. It wasn't this thing, you know, that uh, is, is gibberish. Anyway, um, and by the way, the, the gibberish thing came in because Paul was saying in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the love chapter, you know, if I have this and that, and I don't have charity, then I'm nothing. If I can uh, uh, understand all mysteries and speak with the tongues of men and of angels, wait a minute, can anybody understand everything in the Bible? No. 
It's, it's a book that's deeper than every man, any man. Obviously, what he's saying there is a hypothetical. He's saying, if I could climb to the highest mountain in the world, jump off and fly, and I don't have you know, charity, I'm nothing. He was, it was a hypothetical situation. That's what he said, the tongue of men and angels. That's the only time where the tongue of angels where people get to... No, it's not that. You, you take a look at the definition that is given, how it's defined in the word of God the very first time. So therefore, let's take a look at what the Bible says about the church. The first mention of church is in Matthew chapter 16. And it's the, the verse that we looked at, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, the very first time the church is mentioned in Matthew 16, although it may be alluded to in the Old Testament, you know, the church was kind of uh, spoken about that these things would come. The very first time the word church, and, and it was very clear, appeared in the, in the Bible. It's in the New Testament, and it's given form and different definition in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, the verses that we read. According to these verses, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates shall not, shall, shall not prevail against it. It was built by Jesus himself, for sure. And Jesus said he would do it, and he actually did do that. And then you have people that say, well, the church was birthed in the book of Acts. No, no, Jesus had already gone back to heaven. That was the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit was doing, Jesus said he was going to do it, and he did. It was built by Jesus himself on earth, and that's what he did. And that was before the book of Acts. Because, by the way, in the book of Acts, when there was so many thousand that got baptized and were joined unto them, joined unto what? Well, the church, 120 that was there at the, the upper room, that was what was, it was joined unto. You can't join something unto something unless you have something to begin with in, in existence. Well, anyway, so Jesus built the church by himself. That's what he said. I will build my church. According to, to that law of first mention, when it was first mentioned in the Bible, you'll find that the church is going to be opposed throughout human history, but never overcome, never completely stomped out. Here comes uh, Joseph Smith somewhere along the line in 18-something, and uh, this angel says, well, God started this church thing, but it was gone. You're going to have to start a new one because there is no more church. <clears throat> hey, that, you know that's wrong. That's a lie. The guy's lying. Why? Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's going to be there no matter what, no matter what kind of opposition, no matter what kind of falling away. There's going to be a remnant. There's going to be my church on earth. That's what Jesus said. He's going to build his church, and it's never going to be overcome or completely stomped out. Uh, according to this first mention of the, the, the word church there in the Bible, the concept of church, it will be on the offensive, not the defensive. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who goes to the battlefield with gates, you know, trying to storm the enemy with gates? <laughs> no, no. Gates are what keeps the enemy out. Shut the gates. The enemy's coming. There's an attack. You know, uh, uh, bolter, bol bolster yourself in. No, that's not the word I'm looking uh, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You know, bat down the hatches, shut the gates. The gates protect from an attack. And, and Jesus said, the church is going to be on the offensive. So many times, what we'll, what we'll you know, hear about and, and see is that, uh, you know, well, we just kind of hold the fort, you know, just get, get hunker down and just stay here till Jesus comes because, man, it's rough out there. No, 
No, the church is supposed to get out there in the devil's territory and win believers and call out a belie uh, you know, believers unto the Lord. Guess what it is? Uh, ecclesia. We're going to get an, into that in a little bit. But anyway, it's, uh, it's supposed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. It is doing God's work on the offensive, attacking the dark kingdom and, and his domain or his dominion, uh, the God of this world and, and the, the, the systems of this world. Hey, that's where Jesus is pulling out from the world a people, and it's uh, on the offensive. According to these verses, you'll see that battles will be fought over the church, and within its parameters. Listen, it's going to be tough. And it's going to, you know, sometimes people, they just don't have a stomach for conflict. You know, and uh, when, there's, when there's a problem, when there's difficulty, they just want to stay away from that. And, you know, I don't want conflict. I remember this one gal, her name was Ruth, when I was uh, in high school, I got saved, led her to Christ in my high school. And I had, uh, uh, Bible studies with her. And Ruth once came to me and she said, oh, guess what, Rich? We're having studies with um, these Christians and they're coming over and they're having, you know, bing, what's going on here? You know, what Christians? Well, she's talking about some Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, some believers. And, and they're coming over and they're sharing the, the truth of the gospel with her. You know, and I'm going, no, Ruth, I don't think that's good. You know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know who JWs were. You know, but nonetheless, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going, what's going on? And so then I, I talked to my pastor, and he says, oh, no, it's a cult, and it's, you know, whatever. And, then, and so I got my Bible and got it ready, you know, and trying to find out what JWs believe and, you know, get up there. And, you know, okay, I'm going to get up here. And, and uh, so uh, I said, can I come to the Bible study, too? And she said, well, yeah, sure, that'd be great. So I came to the Bible study, and here's these wonderful, sweet old lady that had this, you know, just a sweet, sweet, sweet gal, you know, and then she had a smile on her face, kind of like anybody's grandma, and this younger gal that was with her, and they were just, with the love of Christ, you know, they were talking about, you know, uh, the kingdom here on earth and all that kind of stuff, you know, what they do. And uh, so then she started talking about this, and so I, I, I said, well, um, you know, the Bible does say this, and they said, no, that's not right, because this, and I said, no, this is what the Bible says, and brought up these verses, and they said, no, it doesn't, it's a lie, you know, and they go, whoa, what in the world, you know, all of a sudden, conflict, I mean, really, conflict, you know, and here's, and I, and I remember, I'll never forget Ruth, she sat there on the side going, oh, no, no, I don't want this, I don't, I don't want, it just derailed her that there would be conflict, folks, whenever there's truth and a lie, there's going to be conflict, there's, you can't you can't avoid it. You listen, you can't avoid it. And you know what? As a as a new believer, I'm saying no. Jesus is eternal. He wasn't created. And sure enough, she got a verse. She got a verse in Proverbs that talked about the Lord, and she she you know brought it out there and said, "See, look at this. This shows that you know who is it talking about here? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. You know, he was." brought forth in the beginning of the of the creation of God and he was the first thing that God brought forth and so you see see he was brought forth he was created he was and I'm going okay I got nothing to say about that sure enough that's what it says and then I go home and read my Bible put it in context let's talk about wisdom it's not talk about Christ oh so simple and I've you know failed right there but um, anyway made me wiser because hey you got to keep it in context just take a look at what the Bible says but nonetheless what I'm the point is Hey, you can't avoid conflict when there's lie, when there's falsehood. You know? And there's going to be conflict. 
And if you want a place where there's no conflict, where everything's just smooth and everything else, well, go to the church that says something good is going to happen to you today. You know, just, hey, believers, just aren't you glad that the Lord is just all love and there's no judgment at all? And let's just go home and everybody have a great time, you know, and, and no conflict. Folks, whenever there's the truth of God, there's going to be conflict. So just, hey, mark it down. That's the, uh, uh, Brother John was talking about Brother Stormer, you know, went back, back east where you know, <laughs> Brother John, he could give this testimony better than I can, but he, he's told, told me many times how early in his Christian walk, you know, he talked about that and you know, how there's, sometimes there's conflict, and Brother Stormer says, listen, when you see a church and everything's going nice and sun shining and all, everything's smooth, that's probably not where God is. But you see a church where there's a fire, you know, going here and an attack over here. Da, da, that's probably where God's working. You know, and that's right. Whenever the church, whenever the truth is laid out, there's going to be conflict. And, and that's that's battles are where the church is. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not break. Why did he bring up the gates of hell? Because that's going to be in opposition to hell and all of hell's. Uh, uh, program and it's going to be it's going to be uh, opposite of all of that and we're going to have conflict so you know according to what Jesus said and the church is going to be present in every age when he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it that means in every age it's going to be around and by the way it's very alive today today it is in existence a lot of times Christians kind of like shirk back and they say oh yeah but we don't want to we don't want to say that's us Okay, well, who who is it? You know, if it's not us, who is it? You know, so but it's in it's very alive today, and it's given authority, and power. It's given God's presence. The word church. Now, folks, I I, I understand the time that we have here, and so she's short. I want to just give everything that I want to give, just a short, and then let's go home. But there's there's so much here and I'm going to have to stay within the, the confines so I might have to split this message up in a, a few a few messages I don't know I, uh, but next week is going to be revival so I won't get the, the pulpit next Wednesday but maybe we'll just continue uh, sorry Lamar I think you were supposed to but I'm anyway uh, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> I think it's okay so that's <laughs> All right, getting back. Uh, let me see what, what I can do to try to fit as much as I can in this message. The word church is, the word that God chose to define the word church is ecclesia. Um, it looks like it's pronounced ecclesia, but it's ecclesia in the Greek. It's, that word is revealing. It's given about 118 times in the New Testament, and it's, it's translated church. Um, I think once or maybe twice in the New Testament it's translated assembly. It's, it's a word that's made up of two words. Ekklesia. Ek is the, the Greek word of the, uh, uh, not the foundational word. What is that called? The foundation word is out of. And kaleo, call, to call, is ek, kaleo. Ekklesia is putting those two together. It's an assembly or gathering of believers that is called out, gathered together for the purpose of glorifying God, carrying out the marching orders of the Lord. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, we call this the Great Commission. This is what Jesus gave to his church. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven 
and in earth. Go ye therefore, now we, we call this the Great Commission because it's the commission that Jesus gave. He's, he's right about to go back to heaven after he's done everything for the church. His blood purchased everything that needed to happen. Everything was done, finished, and he's, he's done. He's going back to heaven, and then you, you take the book of Acts from here on. So he's giving the last instructions that he gave to his church. Now, if, if, it, if it was the last words, the last words that you have on earth, that's probably going to be very significant. You know, the, the last words that I utter here on earth will probably be, give me some Chicago pizza. <laughs> no, not really. That's not going to be very important. I don't know what it is, but think of the last words that you give, and these, these are Jesus' last words, and he says uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore... He's talking to his church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Going back to verse number 19, he's very simply, if you want to just kind of, you know, get it down to the very brass tacks, go ye therefore, teach, baptize, and teach them all things. Make disciples. So you're, you're going out giving salvation, but not just giving people salvation, not just salvation stations everywhere, which is a lot of churches, that's what they are. Thank the Lord for, thank for, the Lord for their heart, for their, for their desire. But they're just salvation stations, just talk about salvation. He says, teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. There's a lot of things in this book, you know, and uh, uh, even though faithful believers meet three, four times a week. Um, th there's more to, there's, there's, there's things in here that it takes daily study and daily getting into the Word of God. But anyway, so that's the Great Commission to the church. So every time the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament, it's local, it's visible, and it's organized. You say, well, preacher, no, I think there's an exception to that. Yeah, there is. There's like three or four times that otherwise... In the Bible, in the New Testament, that ecclesia, the word church, translated church, three or four times otherwise, it's used in the institutional sense. You say, preacher, what do you mean in the institutional sense? Well, we can illustrate that with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. So which church is he talking about there? Wooden Valley Baptist Church? The Church of Jerusalem? The church, Churches of Galatia? Which church is he? Is he well, that's all churches. He's dealing with all churches in the institutional sense. He's, he's saying, you know, because of the institution that he set up, the church... Each and everyone, just like marriage. In the institutional sense, there's husbands and wives. Which husband is he dealing with? Is he dealing with me, this husband? Or Nick, this husband? Or Rob, this husband? All husbands. It's talking about all husbands. It's talking about in the institution of marriage, you have husbands and wives, and those participants, every, every 
uh, marriage has husbands and wives, and so that and so that's how it's dealt with in that verse, and and in that very same verse, and that's the verse. That's talking about the church, and that's where it's in, in institutional sense. It's not uh, global or invisible or, you know, uh, uh, erythral. No, it's not. It's just talking about the church in an institutional sense. The word husband and wife are not referring to one central or universal husband, one big wife, just the institution of marriage. Every husband or every wife in any marriage. Christ loved the church, any church. Every church of the same essence, every instance of the church that he started. There's no such thing as a global, universal, or invisible church. Folks, when you, when you got 118 times that the word church is used, and about 115, 114, 115 times of that, every time. By the way, before Acts chapter, I don't remember, I'd have to look it up now, 11 or... Uh, eight. I don't remember. Whenever, whenever the, the persecution hit the church and they were scattered everywhere, and from that point on, there was more than one church. They were, at first, they were happy to coffee and cake at Jerusalem. They had you know, a wonderful time. And, and the Lord said, hey, go into all the world. And they weren't doing that. They were kind of staying together. They are kind of preaching and enjoying each other and growing. And man, there was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then multitudes later, a lot of people growing and growing and growing. But they weren't you know, stepping out. God had to kind of just scatter them. But then when the time the persecution came, before that time, it was always the church. The church, the church, the church. It went before the church. But then after that time, it was the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch. The churches of Galatia. From that time on, it was then plural because there was more than one church because they were doing finally doing what they were supposed to do. God has a way of getting us to do what we're supposed to be doing. Anyway, um, so, uh, um, but there's no such thing as a universal, invisible church. 118 times the Bible uses the word church, and it's always a local church, a visible church. You could join it. You could look at it. You can uh, be there in the services. It's not this invisible thing it's not this universal thing the, the th like i say the three or four times it's that it's not a local church only those times it's it's in the institutional sense so when you when you look at that and you look at what the word means it's a called out assembly gathered together it's local it's vis visible it has a body of living breathing saints it's in the whole of the teaching of the Bible that we see that overwhelmingly it's identified as local, visible, gathered together in one place. That's what it's called, the, the kaleo, ek, uh, ek kaleo, ekklesia, called out, gathered together, joined together. Remember the song that Johnny Cash sang, One Piece at a Time? <laughs> How many ever heard that song? Okay, some of you know it and are blessed. Let me share it with the others. Here's this guy that works in a factory in Detroit, and uh, he wanted to have a Cadillac, you know, but he could never afford a Cadillac. It's too, too, way, way too expensive. And so uh, they wrote a song about this. Um, it's called One Piece at a Time. He says, well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on an assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by, and sometimes I hang, hang my head and cry, because I always wanted to be one that was uh, I always wanted one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out there in a lunchbox in my hand. Now getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured I'd have it all by the time I retired. 
I'd have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. <laughs> and then the chorus, I get it one piece at a time. It goes, I get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You know? <laughs> I just love this song. <laughs> you, you know it's me when I come through your town. I'm going to ride around in style. I'm going to drive everybody wild because I have the only one there is around. So the very next day, when I punched in with my big lunchbox and with the help of my friends, I left that day with a lunchbox full of gears. Now, I never considered myself a thief. GM wouldn't miss just one little piece, especially if I strung it out over several years. <laughs> the, the first day, I got me a fuel pump, and the next day, I got me an engine and a trunk, and then I got me a transmission and all of the chrome, the little things I could get in my big lunchbox, like nuts and bolts and all four shocks. <laughs> Probably didn't have much to eat that day. <laughs> but the big stuff, we snuck out in my buddy's mobile home. <laughs> now, up to my, now, up till now, my plan went all right till we tried to put it all together one night. And that's when we noticed that something was definitely wrong. The transmission was a 53, and the motor turned out to be a 73. And we, we tried to put it all, bolts and, all, and holes were gone, so we drilled it out so that it would fit. And when, uh, with a little bit of help, with an adapter kit, <laughs> and that's how you gotta say that. <laughs> we had an engine running just like a song. Now the headlight was another sight. We had two on the left and one on the right. But when we, <laughs> when we pulled out the switch, all three of them came on. <laughs> the back end looked kind of funny too, but when we put it together, when we got through, well, that's when we noticed we only had one tail fin. So we drove it up in town to get the tags, and I headed her right down main drag. I could hear everybody laughing for blocks around, but there ain't. Uh, but there at the courthouse, they didn't laugh because to type it up, you, it took the whole staff, and they and they got through. <laughs> when they got through, the, the title weighed 60 pounds. Got it one piece at a time, and it didn't cost me a dime. You know when it's me when I come through your town. I'm gonna ride around in style. I'm gonna drive everybody wild because I'll have the only one around. And then he's on the CB and, yo, Red Rider, this is Cottonmouth. In the cycle, Billy Cadillac, come on, huh? This is Cottonmouth. And the negatory on the cost of this machine there, Red Rider, you say I might <laughs> ride up to the factory and I picked it up. It's cheaper that way. What model is it? Well, it's a 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59 automobile. It's a 60, 61, 60. It goes on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that song. I really do. <clears throat> Listen, all of the parts in that lunchbox were just parts. A little part here, a little part, a gear, you know, tail fin or whatever. Till it was all put together in one car, just like they're believers all over the world. But till they're put together in one assembly, it's not a church. Till they're joined together, they're not a church. All in the family of God, for sure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, no doubt, for sure. But it's not called out a called out assembly. That's the key. Assembly of believers joined together to obey the Lord's command. And later in the Bible, we see some really important and interesting facts about the church. It's love supremely. i gotta, I got to quit. It's love supremely. Ephesians 5.25, we read that verse. Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. 
It's maintained, it's pruned, it's overseen by the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. He walks among his churches, and that's what he does, folks. And you better believe he walks among this church too. And he does his job of pruning and of judging. And of sometimes, uh, we don't want to be judged that way, but he does. I'm, Folks, I am looking forward to God speaking to my heart. I don't know about you, but I come to church, I want God to speak to me. I, and you know what? I'm not giving our guest speaker anything. I'm not telling him all your sins, <laughs> which are so many. Uh, I'm sure not telling him my sins, but you know what? I'm just going to come to church and ask God to speak to me, and you know what? I believe God does just that. He takes care of his church. He does, and you, you see that in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. That's what, what he does with his church. He maintains, he prunes, he oversees his church. He gives helps of officers, of helpers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8, it says he gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles and some prophets, some uh, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Folks, these are given so that the church can have everything it needs to grow and to, to flourish. And I'm, I'm just going to hold it right here. we got some videos and all. Thanks, guys, for, for queuing that up. We're not going to get to it tonight. Uh, the next time that I get on this, we'll, we'll continue. But uh, let me just kind of end up. We have Understand this, folks. We as a church have all that we need, all the tools to do the job that God has for us to do. You have all the tools. And you know what? God's never going to call you or have you put, put you in a place where you cannot do what you're supposed to do. You say, preacher, I've never been a dad before. And now I'm a father, and I, you know, I maybe don't even have a... I, I remember that. I remember one time on a Sunday night preaching about families, and one of the men of the church came to me and said, Pastor, you know what you were saying about being a father? I have no clue. My dad, and he started telling me what he, he experienced in his life. He says, I got no, I got no um, example. I can't do this. And I said, you can, William, you can. And you know how you can? Right there. You might not have a, a human example, but you got the Lord to guide you, give you everything you need right there. And you got the uh, fellow believers that would help. And listen, that, folks, you have everything that you need to do what God has for you to do. Every, every job, every, every task that he's got before you, you have what it takes to be successful in the Lord's work and to do what, what God wants you to do. It's the, the church that will not fail. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not individuals or even movements. Those will die out. It's not for, say, God's plan and God's program. We're going to get into this a little bit more about the church and about how to do it you know, properly. It's have every head bowed. I'll be looking for just